This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. In 1984, George Orwell wrote, The most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. Hello, good morning, and you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. Can love and intimacy save or rescue us from personal crisis? On this week's show, Spanish writer and poet José Oviero unravels the nature of love and our abilities for personal reinvention. And has China rewritten its recent history? Investigative journalist and historian Louisa Lim discusses the nature of collective consciousness and trauma in her new book, The People's Republic of Amnesia, Tiananmen Revisited. This is a show about power and identities, realities and romance, politics and collective memory. But first, is love an invention? José Vieiro is a Spanish writer, poet and literary critic. Born in Madrid in 1958, José is internationally recognised as one of Spain's most unique and versatile writers and is known for writing in a variety of genres, including poetry, drama, essays, travel writing, short stories and novels. José has published over 22 books and essays, some of which have been translated into various languages, including Nunca Pasa Nada, Nothing Ever Happens, and his short story collection, The Travelling Companions. Today, José lives between Brussels, New York and Madrid, where he writes standing up. La Invención del Amor, Inventing Love, is José's latest book and is an unconventional love story, a bit dark, but hugely engrossing. It tells the story of Samuel, a 40-year-old partner in a construction company who is adrift in his personal relationships. He's bored, frustrated and really quite lonely. One day Samuel receives a phone call in which the person on the other end tells him Clara has died and hangs up. Samuel does not remember any Clara but decides to follow it up. What happens next is crazy but very interesting. Samuel sets out to make the deceased Clara the centre of his life. Eventually, his games and lies spin out of control. La Invención del Amor is narrated in the first person and is a remarkable exploration of love as a search and as an escape from the loneliness in modern life. José expertly shows the transformative power of the imagination and its ability to construct new existences. And he poses some very thought-provoking questions on our ability for personal reinvention and self-deception. Well, last month at Isla, the Irish-Spanish-Latin-American Literary Festival at the Instituto Cervantes, I had the pleasure of meeting up with the very lovely Jose before he entertained a lively crowd of fans and Spanish-language enthusiasts. Let's take a listen. 
My name is Jose Ovejero. I'm a Spanish writer. I live in Madrid now after having lived abroad for, I don't know, 30 years. And I write a bit of everything. Essays, plays, novels, short stories, travel books. So I'm really a writer. I wouldn't say I'm a novelist. I am a poet. I'm a bit of everything. Can I start off with a big open question in relation to your latest book, The Invention of Love? Do you think we all have a capacity to reinvent ourselves? It creates huge opportunities. But but also there's a lot of tricky areas, a lot of dark spaces we can go into. Well, starting with your last words, those dark spaces are very interesting from a literary point of view. So I, I would say that the biggest part of my literature tries to look at these places. And about the reinvention of oneself, I think it's necessary to live. I mean, you cannot live if you, if you don't imagine a different possibility of yourself. And I mean this not in just in the in your personal life, but also for societies. A society is not able to imagine a different world, a bit a different way of living together. It stays there. It doesn't evolve. So I think imagination, the possibility of reinventing yourself, inventing other possibilities of living, is essential to life. And where does that meet loneliness? Well, in my novel, Samuel, the, the main character, is somebody who is lonely, but not in a tragical way. He, he, he would say, no, that's all right, I, I live alone, but it's fine with me. Why not? Why should we live all in couples or in groups? That's fine, nobody bothers me, and so on. The problem with loneliness is that you tend to repeat yourself, to live in a kind of a quotidianity that doesn't change. You are not challenged with the contact with other people, so that Samuel is lonely and is a bit bored. And therefore, he starts this crazy idea of getting in love with somebody who has just died and who he has never met. And it all starts with a rather curious phone call. Yes, somebody calls him in the middle of the night and to tell him, Samuel, yes, that's me. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry, Clara is dead. And Samuel does a peculiar thing because the normal thing would have been to say, uh, sorry, I think this is a misunderstanding. I am Samuel, but I don't know any Clara. But he just gets curious. So he said, oh... What a pity. And how was it? And, and the other guy tells about the story of Clara, how he has, she has died in a crash in a car accident. And he gets involved in this story at the beginning, a bit just out of boredom. But I would say, because somebody, some people ask me, why does he do what he does? And I, I say always, he's just curious. He's in this life, he says that I am all right, but he's not really all right. He needs a bit of risk, of danger. And I think risk and danger is also necessary for our life. We tend to live lives now where we want to exclude risk and we want to be secure. This is the, the huge word nowadays, no? and, but security is boring too. And he takes quite a risk because the novel progresses to him going from a funeral to getting close with the sister and it becomes quite bizarre. Yes, it becomes quite bizarre, but I would say it's not love like this. Mm. I mean, we, when we get in love, what would the, do we do? We invent the other mm. Mm, to mm. project our desires, our fantasies on the other. We make a kind of perfect other yeah. in which to get in love. What do we do? To, uh, we invent ourselves mm. to seduce. Mm. So we create a huge fantasy. Yeah. And then what's life afterwards? Trying 
to decide what part of the fantasy is worth living, to live on with this fantasy, what part of reality are we ready to accept and so on. This is a transaction afterwards, no? But love at the beginning is as crazy as, as Samuel. It's a very interesting idea, Jose, but I'm wondering, the, your lead character, Samuel, he's very disconnected in life. Yeah. And in some ways, this fantasy relationship gives him meaning and he suddenly feels connected to the world. He feels more certain in the world. And yeah. that's a very, it's very, very sad. It's also very, very interesting. Well, I, I don't find it sad. I think it's a, a good idea of Samuel mm. to, to get <laughs> reconnected to the world, to start using fantasy. It's the world of literature, yeah. isn't it? To yeah. imagine other worlds that connect us with ours. World. But he's playing with other people's feelings. That's the only problem. It's a big problem <laughs> if you want. Yeah. But it's true that he's lying to Clara's sister, yeah. to her former lover. He's impersonating someone. Uh, mm. And yeah, that's true. He's a bit kind of, of hard to, to other people. Yeah. So in some ways, were you attempting this novel to look at the lies and the games we all play in romance and in human relationships? Yeah, I, I must say I have a very humble approach to, to novel. I in, But I mean it, really. I don't try anything. I, I don't want to, to get a message over to society and to the world. I don't know what I want to say. I, I just grow interested in, in a subject. I imagine this situation of the phone call and I say to me, oh, how interesting. Let's play. Let's go on. What's happened? What, what will happen? But of course, it doesn't mean that In my books, there are no ideas. Mm. I don't intend consciously mm. to pass these ideas over to the world. But of course, if, we, if I am writing and if I am trying to look at those dark places mm. where we were talking about, at the end, I get a kind of deep insight in, in reality. What's interesting there is, Jose, that men and women engage in fantasy in different ways. Mm -hmm. And with different boundaries. And I'm wondering how have men and women differed in their reading of the invention of love? Well, I have, of course, uh, a limited insight in how men and women read this story. But what has happened many times in, since I wrote this book is that many men come to me and say, I am Samuel. I am like this. I don't know. How, how, how have you written this? You don't know me, <laughs> but that's myself, <laughs> no? Because yeah. I live this kind of isolated life, trying to get entertained, but not happy, mm. not risking yeah. enough and so on. So many men have reacted like this. I wouldn't say many women, but some have said to me, but this Samuel is unbearable. Mm. I, 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 I don't want... Karina to get involved with this guy because he's going to lie all his life through. So he's not a character I would sympathize with. So with some exceptions, okay. there were also some women who said to me, well, you know, Samuel is a man, but I'm a bit like this too. I underst understand why he acts like he acts. But maybe it tells you how men and women, how we define lying and without making any gross generalizations women possibly give greater significance to that type of betrayal rather than men or do you think that's pushing it a bit and a bit simplistic well i am always afraid of talking about women and men like two different species no? okay. <laughs> so i i tend to be very very careful the only thing i 
thing I could say is that women give very often more importance to idea of total sincerity. Mm. A thing I don't believe in because I don't think it exists. It cannot exist. But I think they tend to give more worth to this fantasy, which is also, all fantasies are interesting, but I think it's a fantasy. But you think the character of Samuel could have been as Sophia? No, I, without being able to, to say why, I think uh, the character for Samuel had to be a man. But this kind of life without much contact to others is a more manly thing mm. than a womanly thing if i can generalize like like this this kind of living with your tv and your football and yeah. so on and not caring about feelings and so on it tends to be to be found more in the realm of men. So so I thought, no, this character has to be a man. But interestingly enough, some people have asked me, wouldn't you write the second part of it? How will we go... The, how will be the relation now between Karina and Samuel? And my answer has been, well, I didn't think of it, but if I do it, I will do it from the perspective of Karina, not of Samuel. So then I would change the way to, to approach it. Can we talk about some of the writers that have inspired you, both Spanish and also from further afield? I know you're a Philip Roth fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Philip Roth, Don DeLillo uh, are authors who, who have inspired me in the, mm. in the last years. Uh, because at the beginning I was more influenced by the boom of Latin American literature. Julio Cortázar or García Márquez or Rulfo and, and so on. But this, interestingly enough, I am not talking about Spanish writers because I have... I haven't been very aware of the influences of Spanish literature on my on my work, perhaps because I have lived abroad for so many years, but it's not true. When I look at it, I notice that some books have influenced my way of thinking literature, uh, mainly the picaresque, and of course El, El Quijote, but then also some books like Tiempo de Silencio, the Luis Martin Santos, who are also in this tradition of okay. cruelty, a kind of look at society that's very hard but full of humor, and I recognize myself as a part of this Spanish tradition. So the dirtiness in life, the grit the violations and the uncomfortable moments in life. Yes, I think the literature is a, a good way to look on uncomfortable moments and at those dark places, but there is something I cannot avoid, and it's humor. Mm. So I think my books are not that dark because I always find also the funny part of every situation yeah. and this this is why also I say that that, that I'm a Spanish writer yeah. in this in this sense because it, and it's not to make it easier for the reader I don't care about the reader while I was well while I am writing yeah later yes I would like to have many readers and so on but not well well while I am writing but it's yet it's, it's it comes naturally to me to to find these absurd ridiculous mm. parts also in pain now, Jose, Nothing Ever Happens, one of your novels, was translated into English. Your latest book has not been translated into English. So you, as a Spanish writer living between Madrid and Brussels, are writing primarily for a Spanish reading public. Does that put you on the back foot? Well, I haven't lived in Spain for a very long time, so I wouldn't say I write for Spanish people. As I say, I, I don't... 
think of the reader while I am writing. But of course, my language is Spanish. But I have seen my books travel very well in Latin America. Mm. So I'm very often there presenting my books, talking about my books. I meet lots of readers there. So I'm not thinking of a country, of the citizens of a country. I'm thinking of a language. And of course, if I think of my books translated into English, there is a problem you always have with, with a translation. Mm. It depends on the way you write, if yeah. it travels well into other languages or or not and you always lose something yeah. uh, but if you have a good translator perhaps you win something too and is that very disappointing at times or can it be very disappointing yes when when you see that a book of yours has been very poorly translated mm. i have for instance, the translation in German mm. for one of my novels. As I read German, mm. I, I was able to read the translation and I must say I was appalled. I thought, no, that it, no it's not my book. <laughs> and yeah. But is there an argument there that, let's say, when I read one of your books or I read a Borges short story, that I'm reading the translation and I'm reading the translator? So you're navigating two minds, essentially, yeah. and you're maybe not getting the pure writer's voice. Yes, but you cannot avoid it, can, yeah. can you? Yeah. I mean, if I, I can speak some languages, but I cannot speak, I don't know, uh, yeah. the invention of, lo of love is being translated into Serbo-Croat. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck to the Serbo-Croats. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot know if it will be worth or not reading the book. If I can, I don't read the translations okay. of books in the languages I speak, but... Sometimes I have read translations from languages mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. and I find the book amazing mm -hmm. and I don't care if mm -hmm. it's the author or if, or if it's the translator. Mm -hmm. I care about the book, not about mm -hmm. the person behind. So I don't think people should ask themselves, oh, is this what Obejero wanted to say? Mm -hmm. Don't care mm -hmm. about Obejero, who cares? Yeah. And I read somewhere that you write standing up. Is that <laughs> true? And is that <laughs> absolutely crazy? No, it's not absolutely crazy. It's very comfortable. Because if you are sitting, you are a bit tied to your place. Yeah. And writing gives a lot of energy and you are excited and it's, uh, you need to move a bit. Yeah. If you stand, you can move easier. So it's nice. But does standing up writing something, there's possibly a feeling of more command or authority. I'm just wondering, does it in some way psychologically affect your voice as a writer and affect maybe the temperament that you give? Sitting down is something that's a little bit more passive. So I'm wondering, do we communicate more passively when we're sitting mm -hmm. down rather than when, when we're authoritatively standing up? And how does that shape your writing? I have noticed because I write standing up, but sometimes mm -hmm. I must confess mm -hmm. I write lying oh. with my laptop in bed yeah. in very often I notice, no, I cannot write this online. I have, I've got to stand up because, it, yeah, as you say, yeah. you are too passive. You, yeah. are, you have not enough energy. And so I get up and, and go on writing like this. And I have also noticed, and I do it normally, when I speak for a public at yeah. a conference or something, I will always ask to speak standing. I can move, I can look better at the yeah. people, so, and yeah. But you move around a lot. Uh, you do a lot of travel, and you say you do a lot of readings and so on. And I'm wondering whether it's standing or sitting, or whether you're in a different location, how does a different sense of place affect you as a writer? Because I imagine the context where we're working in the culture, you writing from Brussels, are you writing from Madrid? Mm -hmm. And what those cultures infuse in you in some ways, how they inform you in some ways or shape you, how does that direct what you're writing about and your stories? And do you think that you've written differently in different countries? 
No, not really. I think when while I am writing, I am in a kind of a bubble. So I really don't notice where I am. Well, now in in Madrid, I write at a very nice place Mm -hmm. where I have a view of nearly all Madrid. And this is inspiring. So when I get my eyes up out of the computer and look at this sky and the Mm. city and so on, it's very nice. But those are most the the pauses between writing. Mm. While I am writing, I'm in no place. And last question, and it's a bit of a tricky one. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for five of your greatest reads. They can be from any country in the world. I'm hoping for at least two in the Spanish language. But what would they be and why? Well, in the Spanish language, to start there, I would say the short stories by Julio Cortázar, the novel I quoted before, Tiempo de Silencio, Luis Martín Santos, and novels by Valle Inclán. This would be my Spanish world books. And then from other places, wow, there are hundreds, but let me see. Philip Roth, let's take uh, Sabbath Theatre. Interesting. By Don DeLillo, Libra. Let me say uh, Irish author. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as we are here well Irish he was American but I think he he got uh, the Irish citizenship the J.P. Don Levy okay, yeah. the fa- a fairy tale of New York okay. which is a great book well I have re- read a lot of Kutsi uh, or however you pronounce his name <laughs> I like him very much and I think if you if you see the, the works I have chosen all of them or the authors have something in common yeah. They are radical. Mm. They try to say something which sometimes is very unpleasant. Philip Roth can be extremely unpleasant. I wouldn't like to be his friend, but I love how he dares to say things. It's a bit like Lakotsi. Therefore, I like both of them so much. Yeah. And that was a Madrid-born Jose Oviarro. Jose's latest book, La Invención del Amor, Inventing Love, is currently awaiting translation into the English language. OK, coming up next... Is it possible to eradicate public memory and rewrite history? But first, let's take a quick break. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I'm Susan Cahill. Now, if you've missed any of our shows to date, don't worry, they're all up as podcasts on Newstalk.com. And trust me on this one, they're easy peasy to download. Newstalk has some very handy apps for iPhone, iPad and Android. So no excuses. All you need to do is go to newstalk.com forward slash talking books and take it from there. I think there's quite an eclectic selection of writers, philosophers, historians, poets and general creativos up there for you to download. OK, let's now move into a very disturbing space. The rewriting of history. In the early hours of June 4th, 1989, People's Liberation Army soldiers opened fire on unarmed civilians in Beijing, killing hundreds of people. A quarter of a century later, this defining event has been buried in China's modern history, successfully expunged from collective memory. Those who continue to remember are consigned to a life on the periphery since moving on has become a key coping mechanism. Louisa Lim is an award-winning journalist who has reported from China for the past decade.